You're listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season one, Sabbath. Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of season one of the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. I am John Mark Comer, and I am here with two of my favorite people in the world, Bethany Allen, right here. If you don't know Bethany, she is the pastor for spiritual formation and leadership development at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, and my longtime collaborator on all things Practicing the Way. And Bethany, you have got to be the best pastor I know. I say that, and it's not flattery. I, you are always my go-to, like, help me understand the church, what people are feeling, what people are <laughs> thinking, and your ability to kind of put your finger on the pulse of where people are at at a pastoral level is such a gift. So really happy to uh, do Mm. this with you. And then I'm also here with Brian Roundson, who is another dear friend of mine. Brian, you are a pastor at the Garden Church in Long Beach, California, where it's summer all year long. (laughs) And you're also in the process of, just like us, you are starting up a nonprofit called Roots and Embers that is kind of out in this season. And, you know, one of the things I love about your work, and I think I share an affinity for, of is kind of the way that you your work is at the intersection of spiritual formation and psychology. You know, your dad's a clinical psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've kind of grown up in that world, and I think I, I resonate with that. I'm not that, but I feel like in another alternate dimension universe, I was like a social psychologist, like I want to be Jonathan Haidt or whatever. And exactly. so I think we share that kind of... And I think, the, I think the common denominator there is we're both really interested in the growth of a soul mm. over the timeline arc of a life, and in particular into you know a person of love. That's exactly and right. so, yeah, really happy that you're here. Oh, it's such a joy to be with both of you. Mm. And we are here to talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath practice developed by Practice in the Way is a four-week invitation designed to be experienced with your church, small group, or community. If you join the Sabbath practice, you will not only learn about the Sabbath, you will learn how to practice the Sabbath. The end goal is to help you integrate Sabbath into your rule of life. This offering is completely free, thanks to the generosity of the circle. Available now at practiceintheway.org. So why are we beginning with Sabbath? Yeah, so Sabbath is the first of nine practices that we plan to release through Practicing the Way, uh, which are these four-week experiences that you can run with your church or small group. And the plan is to kind of release a podcast season with each one. And we had a long kind of conversation around where do we begin, you know, which is kind of like a pragmatic question, but it's also kind of a, a bit philosophical, you know. And we started with Sabbath for a few reasons. The first is theological. In biblical theology, and you see this in Genesis chapter one, where the day begins at sundown, not at midnight yeah, right. in the you know Western calendar. So there's that line in Genesis one, there was evening and there was morning on the third day or whatever. And then in that kind of Genesis 1 typology, Sabbath is the apex of the week. It's on day seven. It's like what the entire week was leading up to, but it's also like the beginning of a new week. 
And Eugene Peterson has this beautiful insight. He writes about how in Genesis, the day begins with sleep and the week begins with Sabbath. And it's God's way of teaching justification by grace through faith from page one of the Bible, Hmm. which I think is important because spiritual formation is work. And I know that work is like a a dirty word to certain traditions of the church, and I don't mean it with those negative overtones. I just mean it's how we, if you want to borrow from Paul's beautiful line in Philippians 2, it's how we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. And the preposition there is very important, work out our own salvation, not work for our own salvation. And then his next line is, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So it's so important when you enter into spiritual formation in general and you start to take seriously your part, you know, how do I place myself on the path for God to move me forward in my soul? It's so important to work from rest and not for it, Mm. you know, to start from Sabbath, from just meaning this place of being loved exactly as we are. Sabbath is how we get salvation by grace through faith into our body, into our muscle mm, memory. That. You know, it's how we habituate it into the deepest core of who we are. So I guess that's my first reason is theological. And then Bethany, I think of you, my second one would be more like pastoral and just pragmatic yeah. in that most, this is my pastoral experience after doing this at Bridgetown for so many years, most people, and this is not a critique of, cause I'm here too, but most people are simply too busy and stressed out and worn down to have any meaningful spiritual life or to make really significant inroads on the pathway to becoming a person of love in God. And of all the practices and disciplines that mitigate against the hurry of our time, I think Sabbath is at the top of the list. You know, if you just think about the sheer volume, I mean, it's why Sabbath is such a radical discipline. It's why so many people like the idea of it, but don't actually practice it, because it's one-seventh of your yeah. life. Dr. Matthew Sleeth writes about this. There was that huge study done a few years ago on Seventh-day Adventists, which are one of the only Christian denominations that still practice the Sabbath very hmm. seriously. And it found a couple of interesting things. One, they're much happier than the general population on average, which is true, pretty much all Christians. But the other thing it found is they live on average 11 years longer than the general population. <laughs> wow. And then That's as crazy. a doctor, he had, yeah, he had this theory. That's He's crazy. like, if you add up Sabbath, a seventh of your life, if you add that up over the average lifespan, it comes mm-hmm. out to about 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. It is radical, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a lot of your life But I have just come to believe that it is a core practice or discipline from the way of Jesus. You know, every tradition has its core disciplines. You know, if you're Catholic, it's daily mass. If you're charismatic, it's worship by singing and prayer time. If you're a evangelical, it's your morning quiet time. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is. If you're a Benedictine monk, it's fixed hour prayer. I have just come to believe that Sabbath is not the, but it is a core practice from the way of Jesus and that it is essential to following Jesus well. So that is why we started the Sabbath. Hi there, my name is Bree and I'm 27 years old and my husband and I have been Sabbathing for about four to five months now. Uh, And growing up, I heard about Sabbath, but I kind of thought that it was more of like a day off from work. And I, I thought, sure, you did have work, but you still fill it up with all the other things, with as many things as you can. 
Um, and honestly, I think that that's what kind of made Sabbathing really difficult for me at the beginning. Um, my natural personality is just go, go, go. I want to fill every single second of every day with tasks and people and things. And and so when we first started Sabbathing, I think I felt guilty, if I'm honest, about like, was I wasting my time? I wasn't being efficient. I wasn't being responsible and being a good steward of my time. And and now we kind of view Sabbath as creating intentional space to just exist in God's presence. I think, you know, it's interesting even introducing the topic of Sabbath because I think for so many, Sabbath does feel, it's new. And I think it's a little, it can feel a little complex or ancient, even maybe even abstract. And so I think it's not just like, oh, great, I'll just start practicing Sabbath. Like I could pick up, you know, me growing up in the evangelical tradition, I'll pick up my quiet time, I'll read my Bible, I'll do my prayer. But mm-hmm. Sabbath is like this whole new yeah. paradigm. Like I get rest, sort of. Yeah, new to us. Right. Yes. But ancient, ancient paradigm. Yes. But, but, but still at some level disconnected from our reality, even our Christian reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes I think it throws people off a bit. Like it gets, it's an intimidating thing when you talk about this kind of ancient practice. But I think what's so encouraging is the truth is, even as you've broken it down here, it's fairly simple yeah. mm-hmm. in its structure. Yeah. You know, so I think in this podcast, it's important. We're going to be just talking about the simplicity of what this actually is. And more specifically, I think it's important for us to talk about just the four major components to Sabbath that we see as like yeah. essential, especially if we're just starting out, especially if this is something we're just yeah. learning to embrace. Um, Which so, is most most people, like, you know what I mean? So yeah. if you're listening and you're like, this is really a new idea to me, that is still my experience yeah. that Sabbath is a new idea to most Christians in the West. A hundred percent. I mean... Brand new. So let, I think it's important for us to break it down a little bit. And we're going to do that just through like four kind of concepts. Mm-hmm. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. Obviously, delight is one of my favorites. But um, yeah, we're going to hit those. <laughs> and we're going to get into each of those rhythms. But before we do that, we do want to have a conversation around this kind of first movement of Sabbath. That's where we're going to start. Um, but John Mark, I did... I. I think it would be helpful if you could give us just a five-minute kind of synopsis of the session that you do, the session one in the practice, and then we can just kind of riff off of that together and just explore yeah. it together. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so if you're listening, this podcast is kind of tied to session one of the Sabbath practice, which is a four-session experience through that grid of stop, rest, delight, worship. So today we want to cover stopping. So yeah, let me let me see if I can give a three, four minute synopsis of session one. Basically, I open with Matthew 11 and that line, you know, uh, are you weary? How are you weary? Exactly. How, how yeah. much? How bad? You know, burnout is just like a rite of passage for millennials, you know? <laughs> so the point is that rest is essential to apprenticeship to Jesus, rest in general. Yeah. And Sabbath in particular is a practice by which we partner with God to cultivate a spirit of restfulness in our body all week long. Mm. So basically at a kind of biblical theology level, we go to Genesis 1, we talk about this paradigm of six days God worked, seventh day God rested, and how God created the Sabbath day, and in doing so, he built into kind of the fabric of creation a rhythm. Yeah. The point there is, you know, I kind of talk a little bit about... (laughs) 
when you live in alignment with reality as God intended in his wisdom and his love, you tend to flourish and thrive. Yeah. But when you live at odds with it, and you could apply this to so many different areas, mm -hmm. but when you live at odds with the creator's good intentions, you sabotage your own kind of journey and formation. So then I end by talking a little bit about just whether or not it's still a binding command, and we can come back to that. But I just make the point that whatever the right answer to that question is, it's a gift, it's a rhythm and a gift in scripture mm -hmm. long before it's ever a command. And even the first time it is commanded in Exodus chapter 20 in the 10 commandments at Mount Sinai, the command is to remember. Yeah. So the mm. Sabbath is already yeah. there. It's like yeah. the implication is this is already built into the fabric of creation. It's already built into the life of the community of God's people. They've been practicing Sabbath since the moment they were set free from Egypt. And the command is to remember. And yeah. so the Sabbath is a day of remembrance. It's similar to like the Lord's Supper in that we remember mm. what, what the focal point of life actually is. We remember that there is a God and his name is not John Mark Comer or <laughs> Anthony <laughs> Allen or praise God, praise yeah. God, you know, that we live yes. in his world, that it's good, that his kingdom is here, his kingdom is coming, whatever happens to the nation state of wh wherever you live, you know, uh, his kingdom is eternal. Remember that there's a rhythm to creation. Remember that we don't stop when we're finished because we are never finished. Yeah. We never will be finished and that's okay. We remember that we are not what we do or what we have or what other people say or think about us, but we are who we are most deeply loved by. Mm. And we remember that the world is full of suffering and pain, yes, but it's also full of goodness and mm. beauty yeah. and truth. And we remember to be grateful. So. Um, the call is basically to begin to, at the end of session one, to live into this rhythm that God built into the world. That's session one. Mm. Well, I love that because for me, what you're inviting people into is a realignment of everything. Yeah. It's yeah. not, you said it earlier, it's not addition. You know, the gospel is an additive. It's yes. not something you can, I always think of it as like, you can't just sprinkle Sabbath onto your already yes. baked piece of bread. Exactly. It has to go from the very beginning of the recipe and infuse everything. And yes. formation as a whole is like that. Yeah, it's like following Jesus is not a hobby. Yeah. It's like I throw it in there when yeah. I have an extra like, One additional Saturday afternoon. Community or practice or yeah. thing, you know, my yoga practice, my whatever. It's not one more thing. Yeah. And I love that because for me, the invitation then is like an exhale, <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I'm not adding anything else right now. I'm evaluating where I might be at odds with the grain of my own existence, yeah. with the grain of the universe, with the grain of how God has created us to be. Yeah. I think it's encouraging for me, that in particular, because I also am thinking, man, I'm designed for this. So where I image God, I'm actually, where I would feel like, oh, it'd be an obstacle to slow my breathing or to settle yeah. in. I love the idea that in Sabbath, I'm actually, there's a design element to this that it's not gonna be some abstract obstacle I have to overcome to enter into it. I actually have something in my being yes. yeah. that is built to enter in. You are becoming ease. most yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's like this beautiful, like, it's not like, even to what you were saying, Brian, like, yes, it's exhale, but then it's also this, me returning yeah, and, and just almost like clicking into how I was always meant to be and then feeling the full experience of that. Yeah. It's humble though, because yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an it's a immediate acknowledgement yeah. in the humility that like, I can't just make whatever I want yeah. out of this. So that even breath slows you to a point to say there is something in me that yeah. I must align or redirect. And yeah. that's a beautiful, it's a yeah. beautiful image. Well, let's frame the conversation this way, you know, um, to go forward. I think, 
you know, I grew up in the church, and this is not an angsty kind of anti-church statement at all, but I did not hear anything about the Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> no. I find a lot of people are like brand new to the concept, but a lot of people, it's almost like a fad almost, yep. you know, which I'm not against that at all. We've been teaching on it for years at Bridgetown, but I think, you know, Bethany push back on this if I'm wrong, but I have found that many people seem to love the idea of Sabbath. I mean, some people are hostile to it, but most people are like, yes, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they love it when I teach on the Sabbath mm-hmm. or when I write about the Sabbath or whatever, and they like to read about it. But so many people don't actually practice Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely. And I think that's where we want to like move the conversation forward. Yeah. Yeah, and that's my experience. I come from a different place even because for me, I had a mentor at 20 who every time I met with him, probably bi-monthly, twice a month for years, would would say to whatever complaint I had in my 20s about my faith or my life or my, you know, relationships, he would say, well, are you resting? Are you Sabbathing? He would, you know, Interesting. and for mm-hmm. eight years, it was just like, yeah, kind of, you know, <laughs> but I absolutely think in our culture, my experience and stories with friends now, even as the conversation has spread through the wider church, um, I'm be- I'm convinced that we prefer insight to change. Yeah, we are being trained. Or we think insight is change. Yes, yes. We think right. now I know yes. something, so therefore, I'm yeah, it's probably different. better. We've conflated, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to that um, because we're this post therapeutic culture, so we think the self exploration. Getting to the root is the change, right. and mm-hmm. we tend to settle at that arrival of insight mm-hmm. and self-discovery. Um, but I and insight is easy yes. and exciting. Yes, and change is hard <laughs> and not controllable. Right. And change slow is painful. And painful. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, and but not to. Not to take too much credence away from insight. No, I love and I, that's the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. it's the beginning. That's exactly it. I love that that line from Rollhauser where he says, just to be able to name something, no matter how absurd or unfair, no matter how powerless we are to change it, to be somehow free of it, above it, in some way transcendent. Mm. To name something correctly is partly to free ourselves from its dominance. Yes. And I think that's beautiful. It's such a good call. But I think our culture has stopped there. And Sabbath becomes the buzzword of insight. Like, yes, I need this. But it's never seeped deeply into it. It hasn't yet undone the recipe of our own lives, like yeah. we've talked about before. Yeah. And so to make the insight the whole journey is the problem. And I think that's why, for a lot of reasons, we get onto these kicks of big habit changes. You know, how many books on habits in the last 10 years do we see? Yeah. Because it's this spark of insight. I can self-help my way into this thing by just hacking my habits. But after that insight becomes plain and boring to us, we've lost interest and we don't even care about change anymore. And Sabbath for me has been the one that in my own life, but also in many of the families around me, many of our friends, it's been this recurring, every year they rediscover Sabbath, but it doesn't settle deeply into them. Yeah. Yeah. Which means it doesn't, you know, have the power to change. Yeah. I think that's why we're releasing a Sabbath practice, yeah. mm-hmm. not just a Sabbath podcast or a Sabbath teaching series or a Sabbath book, not that I'm against any of those things, but like in or- we have to go from the idea yeah. of, Christians I think are the worst at this, <laughs> where we take these like ideas of Jesus, like yeah. rest for your soul and the easy yoke, but we don't actually habituate them, yeah. and so they become devoid of the power that I think mm. Jesus intended. Yeah. So this is why you have to go from the idea of rest in God to the practice of Sabbath yeah. or whatever. However, you have to habituate it into your body. And that's, you know... This reminds me of what you 
John Mark and Tish Harrison Warren talked about during your conversation on Sabbath. Yes. And if you don't know Tish, she wrote Liturgy of the Ordinary, which is a fantastic book on Sabbath and just everyday ordinary life. And you asked her about formation and the body, and I loved hearing her perspective on this. If we could somehow take a time machine and you and I drop into a worship service in the early church, because it was such a preliterate culture, a lot of um, intentional formation of the church was bodily. Post-enlightenment um, gives us this understanding of the human person that's kind of stripped down, you know, brain on a stick. And so you can tell the story of the history of the West, including the church in many ways, as a story of forgetting that the body matters. The, the story of sort of leaving our bodies, quote unquote, behind. I just think that I, formation is so inescapably a bodily act. Yeah. I've spent most of my life in two kind of major streams of the church, the kind of Bible church kind of stream that I grew up in, and then the more charismatic stream in more recent years. And in my experience, and again, this is not really a critique, it's just like an offering. Yeah. In the charismatic experience, the emphasis is all on kind of experience encounter basically like a radical encounter yep. with the spirit of god and in bible churches it tends to be on information or yeah. whether you call that theology doctrine preaching sermons bible study it's like the more church and bible study will make me into the kind of person yeah. who's living the sermon on the mount and i'm very much for bible teaching and encounter with the spirit of god i actually <laughs> think both are essential to our spiritual formation but neither of them alone have the power to transform us at the level yeah. that is anything close to what I think Jesus has in mind about yeah. for us. For that, our discipleship has to go beyond really good teaching and really emotional, experiential happenings with the Spirit of God. It has to go into discipleship, into community, yep. into the healing and the growth of the soul. So that's just to your point. Insight is the beginning, and it's essential. Yeah. We have to name what is, but it's, it's just the beginning of the journey. Mm. Yeah, I think even ironically, in those two realms, even that you're naming just some of these different rhythms that we've done and taken on in the church, both are beautiful and good and helpful, but both, at least in regards to this practice, actually afford you the opportunity to avoid that deeper, integrated mm -hmm. work it's like of Sabbath. Christianity as avoidance of pain. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're keeping it at, on the surface at bay in your rhythms. You're like, I'm comfortable with the 20-minute quiet time, but if we go like 40, when, I, when I'm in control and yeah. I yeah. Like read my psalm, my devotional, yeah. Yeah. cool. This is what I've always done. And again, all of that is good and beautiful, and I come from similar yes. tradition. But at the same time, I think it allows you even not just to avoid some of that deeper work that Sabbath is meant to do within us, the undoing, as you said, Brian, but also it affords us the ability to kind of mitigate yes. and negotiate hmm. this ache that we're experiencing. Maybe it, you know, it comes up every once in a while, but it, it allows us to kind of go, yeah, but I did this thing or I had this encounter, so it's okay or I can wow. keep it at bay or whatever. And honestly, it hinders you from actually being able to figure out or even touch that thing that you're actually carrying, which is like a deeper or truer desire within you, because mm. you're just kind of feeding it with these other yes. experiences yeah. or rhythms. Yeah, I, I feel like we're so conformed to the pattern of you know our world, the one that we create, that we don't even know what's good for us in light of that. 
And so we get to these places where, to your point, where we're so convinced that we have the answer for the solution of the thing we're looking for, and it's avoidance. So we get to Saturday, we get to the night, and we think that, oh, I'm so weary. What yes. I need is to completely check out in Netflix, in social media. Yeah. To and, escape. You know, and I have so much freedom to do that because I have freedom in Christ. I have freedom to yeah. make this decision. <laughs> and so we, we, we convince ourselves in all the we religious put ways. language around yes, it. Yeah. absolutely. But what we need is the humility to trust yeah. and the discipline of refraining of doing what we naturally would want to do because our, our, our desires are so disordered. We're so thirsty that we think the salt water that we can contribute will make us hydrated. Yeah, and 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 it's not like there is a desire in us for this. It's like yes. the deepest desire. I remember one of my theological professors, uh, Dr. Gary Bashirs, used to say, "Your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The deepest of desire of your heart is to be a person who's grounded and centered and resting in God and living in community and present yeah. to others in love and full of communion with God." But in our exhaustion, often yeah. those stronger desires like dominate yeah. our lifescape. And so Sabbath is about disciplining ourselves to get in touch with our deeper desires and let them grow. I think it'd be helpful if we can kind of make a turn here yeah, to with the rest it. of our time, just speak a little bit about some of the objections. Cause we're talking, I mean, we're talking pretty practically here. I think there's a lot more to dig into, <laughs> yeah. but I think it'd be helpful for us to, to just take some time to speak to some of the objections or the challenges that we hear that kind of keep us yeah. from actually doing the practice. Cause I think this is our greatest obstacle. If we can kind of overcome these first kind of yeah. tensions, we can move deeper into this practice. So the first one I think is theological. This is the one that's kind of been running around my mind. Um, And it is that question, you know, and you kind of referenced it earlier, um, but is Sabbath a binding command? Like, is this something that we have to do? Do I have to keep it or not? Or Yeah, I hear this a lot from, in particular from older conservative Christians, not only, but you know, each of these questions is kind of a demographic. So there's a whole rabbit hole here. Let me attempt to discipline myself. Short answer is, you know, I think it's a moot point because even if the Sabbath is no longer a binding command, it still stands as wisdom. But there is, at a theological level, there is a debate. So we're not going to say this is the right way or the wrong way. Theologians disagree and have yeah. for a very long time. On the pro-Sabbath side, meaning there's a group of theologians and New Testament scholars that think Sabbath is still a binding command. And some of the argument there would be, first off, you have to define when you say, isn't it part of the law? So you have to define what you mean by the law. Do you mean the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Do you mean the Levitical Code? Mm-hmm. Do you mean the Deuteronomic Code later? You know, So you know, in the Ten Commandments, it's arguably just as important as not stealing or killing or lying. It's the only discipline that yeah. is commanded. Yeah. It's the longest of the Ten Commandments. It's 37% of the Ten Commandments. And you know, then Jesus arguably did nothing to annul or abrogate the Sabbath. In fact, a ton of the stories about Jesus are about his practice of the Sabbath, mm-hmm. and in particular, his healing on the Sabbath. And you know, the argument goes, the pro-Sabbath command argument goes, that the reason it's not clearly spelled out in the New Testament 
is because Paul is translating discipleship from a Jewish culture to a Greco-Roman culture. He's no longer in a theocracy, which mm. the yeah. law was written into with Moses yeah. and God as king. Many of his listeners are slaves who can't pick what day they rest on or don't have one, and much less you know on Saturday or Sunday. It wasn't until the empire was Christianized hundreds of years later, I think it was 321, that you know Sunday was set aside as a Sabbath day of rest and worship. There's another side that says, absolutely not, is no longer a binding command. They would point out that it is never commanded in the New Testament. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament. Paul has warnings, they would say, about not getting sucked back into living by the Levitical Code, which had, in Paul's theology, served its purpose and was no longer binding. Now, that doesn't mean it's no longer wise, but it's no longer binding. Um, a key text here would be Romans 14, 5. One person considers one day more yeah. sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Again, there's debate. Is he saying it doesn't matter if you Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday? Or is he saying it doesn't matter if you Sabbath at all? And that's where there's ambiguity in the text. Then some would take Hebrews 4 and allegorize it a bit, saying we have a spiritual rest in yeah. Christ, so we don't need mm-hmm. a day of rest anymore. You know. Yes. But again... To kind of sum up, my point is, I, I think I lean about 51% toward it's still a binding command, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. it's kind of a moot point, because if somebody could right now sit down and theologically convince me that I do not have to keep the Sabbath, then this coming weekend, I would still <laughs> practice, <laughs> still practice the Sabbath. it with your family. Yeah, because it's, it's, I think it's just built into the fabric of God's reality. You said that too earlier. I just want to say like another thing you said earlier, it's also gift. You said command and gift. And so I think to your point, it's not meant to be just something that's like, you know, militarized against you. It's it's actual gift for the human. Well, and the writer of Hebrews, like you said, they pick up the writer, the pastor of Hebrews picks up that idea and, and kind of starts imagining this day of rest as a uh, as a potential future iteration of what the eternal rest will be and mm-hmm. that idea of we on one day we get to practice eternity is something that's I love really that idea. we get to really engage with it in Sabbath the same way practicing eternity yeah, we you know Heschel writes so beautifully about that like will you begin to enjoy the flavor and taste of this eternal moment, Mm. you do that by practicing one day a week. Mm -hmm. In the same way that the promised land became this broader image of the day, the day of the Lord, right? This future restoration, the rule and reign of God. We get to participate in that and how we become comfortable offering ourselves to God's will in that place Mm. is such a gift. So for me, when I think of that, like, okay, it's not a command, it is an invitation, it is mm-hmm. a gift, you know, and a command, but to, as you just so eloquently described, why it is. Um, but why wouldn't, this is Hebrews, why wouldn't we strive to enter this rest as much as possible? Mm-hmm. Yes, and if, that's a fascinating line. It's an amazing you know, line. Labor, or to yeah. make every effort, yep. there's different translations, or strive to enter his yeah. rest. You're like, wait, yeah. strive? Yeah, exactly. To enter his rest, yeah. labor to enter his Work rest. Work hard that you might receive but this place. But there's some kind of, we'll talk more about this in the next episode, there's a resistance yeah. not only outside us, but yeah. inside us. Yeah that we have to overcome in order to enter into Sabbath rest. That's it. Okay, so the question that that comes up very often, and I think it's a very legitimate question, but it's something I hear quite a bit, is what about people who don't own their time? Yeah, yeah. That, that was language, that was phrased to me by Brian Luritz, who's a friend of mine, African-American pastor, and it wasn't an antagonistic question. No. It was like a, 
you know, I think the root there is, is Sabbath only for middle-class people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, who, and what he meant by don't own your time, like, yeah, if you work for yourself or you work for a job and you have money to Friday, what if you are an undocumented worker and you're working three jobs to stay afloat and you don't, you can't say, I'm sorry, I'm not available on this time or whatever this day. So that's a really important question that I don't think I'm the right person to answer. Yeah. So here's our friend, Rich Viotis. We got to sit down, Brian, you did the interview with Rich and we asked him that question. Rich, if you're not familiar with his work, is a brilliant pastor, teacher, writer. He's the pastor of New Life Fellowship in Queens, which is not a majority white, middle-class kind of end up church. It's arguably the most diverse zip code in the United States of America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're one of the pioneer churches in Sabbath and in rule of life. They built their whole church around these four basic rhythms, one of which is Sabbath rest. And so they're working this out in a very diverse, very socioeconomically diverse urban environment. So, and Rich himself is a pastor of color. So we asked him this question. This is what he said. I've learned this over the years that I I would preach sermons on Sabbath and hear someone from our church say, well, Pastor Rich, I'm working two and three jobs. I'm doing the best I can. I can't keep Sabbath. And I'm reminded that Sabbath at its core uh, is to be a communal enterprise. And as a pastor, what I wanna do is I wanna create a culture in which we all can rest. And so whenever I find myself resting, I, I'm, I'm not filled with guilt, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with gratitude. But that gratitude is to spill over into how do we now create a culture in which others who can't rest for financial, sociological reasons, how to create, and one of the ways we experimented with that at New Life at least is, I mean, within groups, how do we create generosity within our small groups where we can help people rest? Some people are working two, three jobs and doing the best that they can. And how can the church serve one another so that we can all enter into rest? And so I do think there is a, there are sociological ramifications, uh, uh, financial ramifications of it all. And I don't think people should feel guilty about resting. I think it's a gift from God. But I do think that Sabbath at its core, especially in communities in which people are struggling to do it for legitimate, um, uh, because of legitimate barriers in their lives, how do we now, this is what Walter Brueggemann writes about in Sabbath as resistance. You know, there are powers and principalities in the world that are keeping people from rest. This, there is, we all have within us an inner Pharaoh who says, if you stop working, you're gonna die. And then we have legitimately, I, I don't know if you wanna call them external Pharaohs, but there's a larger system that says, if you don't work, you're not gonna eat. And the tyranny of that. And so I do think what, what I'm learning more and more is the the individual, interpersonal, and institutional nature of Sabbath. And that our lives are to be given towards all three of those layers. Uh, I wanna rest personally. I, I think Sabbath must be uh, an interpersonal thing. It's not best done in community. It's not just me having a great time with Jesus, but feasting together with others. And then there are some powers and structures and principalities in the world that, that are keeping people from enjoying Sabbath. How do we now do our best in the name of Jesus? Uh, contextually to push back against those forces so that people can rest. 
Man, that's so rich. I mean, I, I do think the best answer to that no is pun just... No pun intended. Oh, so oh my gosh. That was so, it was just like, wow. Was that intentional? Was that, just, was that the spirit of Jesus or was that just bad pastor <laughs> muscle memory? So I don't rich. even know. But yeah, I do think that's the right answer. How, how, how do we create Sabbath for others that don't have it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do we take whatever modicum of power and influence we have to, to work against these systemic structures that keep people away from Sabbath? How do we create a Sabbath table, a Sabbath home, a Sabbath community? Mm-hmm. Um, a third kind of question slash challenge slash problem to solve for, I just think, you know, in language that is common to me, is just we are addicted to hurry. Mm-hmm. A- and I think, Brian, maybe you could riff on this, but you use the language in one of our pre-conversations of hurry withdrawal. (laughs) Yeah, that, I mean, that came out of my own experience of having young kids and working, and I think I had my first vacation, and I felt, I mean, you've all had this experience where Mm. you're day two, day three on vacation. And and it's awful. And it's awful. You feel bad. And you're about to come home, you know, a few days later or whatever. That's why I'm a big proponent of long weeks off, if you can. Um, but it was this experience in my own body that I was more grumpy, more angry, all the things. And it was my body going through what I later realized was actual withdrawal, like a physical withdrawal. And I need to be purged from that addiction, mm. like any addiction of some mm. degree. Yeah. Yes. That might take, again, to receive something from outside of me, to have a, a new foundation, a new place to rest and slow down, a new clarity from which I can actually engage and be present and make decisions because this was my realization is no one makes their wisest, most discerning decisions when they're in the midst of this anxiety. Of course not. Yeah. And when they're in the midst of literally addiction withdrawal, this hurry withdrawal. And I longed to be able to be present. And I come I came to find that Sabbath for me was the way that I prepared for it and the way I experience it. Had always had to include a little bit of that on the front end. Yes. Yeah. And that's just week to week. A time of withdrawal. Yeah. And that's why there are people, and in particular a lot of leaders and a lot of pastors, yeah. who can't stop. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, any more than they could stop doing heroin or whatever, yeah. because I'm not trying to equate that in a, a loaded way, but there there is this literal addiction in their body itself to hurry. Well, yeah, and... And the other side of that is that ongoing, persistent, both addiction to hurry and the defensive posture that's created into you. The, in neuroscience, they call it the defensive emotions. That's anger, sadness, yes. fear, shame, and disgust. The survival emotions. Yeah. All kind those of. survival emotions. And when those are the prominent way that we order and experience and actually tell a story about our experience, wow. the commitment, the connection, and the bonding emotions of love and joy, trust, trust, all of laughter. that is actually, it gets pushed down, becomes mm-hmm. harder and harder and harder because they're actually slower. You have to feel safe to get to that spot. Absolutely. And that's the gift on the other side of it. When you are, have calmed and quieted your spirit, when you have mm. come to this place yes. where the hurry has been flushed out of you, that addiction has been flushed out of you, and you no longer have to respond in the reactivity of this place, well, then what actually happens is things like love and trust and joy become your default way of experiencing the world. And it's actually chemically not impossible. What happens is oxytocin, which floods your body in those moments of connection and love and joy, actually makes it far more difficult for the survival emotions to live at the same time yeah. because they're different functions. Yes, They're slower to actually engage, love, trust, and joy. But once they're there, they actually can push back against the survival instinct to be angry, to feel disgust, to feel shame, all those things. 
Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded non-profit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world. We believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship, and so give monthly to see this integrated into the church at large. I'm Luke from the UK, and I'm part of this great community. To join myself and others in The Circle, or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org forward slash give. You know, I think another challenge that we have is that we are addicted to work. Like yeah. there is a part of, Sheesh. not just culturally, but like in in our physical bodies. I mean, we're talking about, you, you're just speaking to like a visceral response that's happening and taking place regularly in the human body. But we, even at a sociological level, also are like embracing this reality that like, work is life yeah. like yeah. or activity is, for some people yeah. it'd be their career other totally. people would be just busyness or parenting or parenting sports. all of yeah. that like this it touches on that um identity kind of statement of i am what i do yeah. and that's the the new religion it's it's who you know what i do is my worth and value it's it's, it's who my I essence am. it's totally who i am and i mean social media doesn't help and we're doing that constantly every hashtag is just yeah. like this is me the most authentic <laughs> self or whatever and they're they're laboring or whatever, but I think, I think it's a difficult but an honest thing that we need to address in this rhythm uh, of Sabbath. You know, I think you know we're buying into at the same time like this. We talk even just thinking about the last topic again. It's like this hit. We're getting a hit every time we, yeah. you know, um, experience some of those even those harder emotions. We're still yes. getting a hit that keeps yeah. us going. And I think work is the same way. Like yeah. in the addiction we carry there, that's like you know, and it's a socially su- acceptable addiction. It's se- one that if you ex- do, you'll get rewarded. It's yes. celebrated. I mean, it's like a massive. Up, yeah. This is so. There's a constant affirmation of like the more successful you are, the the better you are, the the I don't I don't even know what the language is, but the the more valuable you are yeah. to yes. not only the world but but the cost on your soul. Like I'm hearing yeah. in my yeah. mind, I remember chatting to somebody at our church who yeah. works for a very large, well known corporation, and they said they were getting promoted and they were getting nervous. They're like, yeah, it, once you get promoted past this level, nobody stays married anymore. Oh wow! They're like, you you can't you can't be at that level and be. <laughs> Wow. In a marriage. Because of the demands well, that the company makes. Yeah, I mean, it's something about mistress. the deformative of yeah. that becomes, that becomes your, your, relationship. New, your new relationship, wow. your yeah. new marriage, your new identity. I think it's important also to say here that like very few of us would say that we are addicted to work. No. Like I think we would all be hesitant to say like I would have, especially when I first started Sabbath, like I would not have said I'm addicted to work. I'm a pastor. Yeah. Like I am not addicted to this. In, um, in some ways, it becomes more difficult when you spiritualize your work, right? Yeah. Because the weight is yes, not that we have to get into that, but it's yeah. a. But I think the identity claim, because we have, because again, going back to that piece, that there's something we're aligning with a way of being in mm-hmm. ourselves and in the world, the way yes. God has created us. There's an identity that's received that yeah. we are not at the center of all of this. God has defined who we are, not yes. we're defining who we are. You know, yeah. I think even to your point, like a lot of times people think if I can produce more, become more, you know, move up in whatever direction, then I will, I think at the like core of this, there's this lie, like then I will experience peace. Yeah. And and that thing is, it's just a hamster wheel. That's, you're That's never it. actually accomplishing that. And through Sabbath, you get the gift of 
peace. Mm. You get the gift of mm-hmm. I already am enough. Yeah. I was this is my design and I'm not what I do. I just I am loved by God. Yeah. All right, the next objection that we were thinking about is in this conversation of addiction is this chronic addiction to entertainment and the digital life. And we know how to work and shop and be entertained, but we struggle to rest and play, so we end up turning mm. to our devices. Yeah. The thing that I think about when we, again, it's like salt water when you're thirsty. It doesn't actually answer the thing that you're looking It doesn't quench the thirst that you have. And the reality is, as I've reflected on this, is that we're not happy when nothing is asked of us. And entertainment and digital experience or encounter asks very little of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're happy, uh, we're, we're only happy when we're adequately challenged. And that's that like idea of flow that the appropriate balance of both challenge and skill is when we actually discover a place of contentment and delight. And so when the task, when the the burden is too intense for our capacity in a moment, we check out. But when it's too easy, we're not entertained or we're not. We're we're bored. We're bored by it. And so it's this uh, adequate balance of challenge and skill. And I've come to find that instead of escaping into this endless array of just binge watching or checking out or scrolling, which asks nothing of us, but our attention and hopefully some of our money, that's what they want. um, We don't actually have to gain anything from it. And it's not genuine trust or delight or joy. Yeah. And it's counterfeit. I mean, I think to your point, the entertainment, I was, I've just been trying to think through, like, what is it about entertainment? I'm even thinking back to a story you told in a sermon once about you were trying to find out um, about a celebrity and you got distracted when you were sermon writing, not to call you out. But I was like, that's <laughs> happened to me like a thousand times. But like, I keep thinking, like, what is it about entertainment or the lives of others or the Real Housewives of Orange County or wherever that we're so drawn to? I think it's just, I think it's worth naming that, like, I think for a lot of us, we get some kind of superficial and really the truth is counterfeit relational hit or we think that's a point of connection yeah and i think that's the great illusion of an entertainment social media is that yeah. this is some kind of form of connection which yeah. again is speaking to that deeper desire we were talking about like my deeper desire is actually for connection i'm looking to entertainment or the digital life to find it but none of those things are actually sufficient that's why i'm spending five hours on yeah. my phone looking for it you know the next one we kind of exploring this idea that we're we're trapped in competing values. The thing about Sabbath is when we begin to limit how we spend our time and money, you more immediately than ever will begin to see how those things are competing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And nothing does that like the Sabbath because it orients, like you said, one seventh of your time and then your wallet on what you do and what you can commit to year long and what you can commit to with your family and friends. And most of us go about our days not really considering how those things are being spent until conflict emerges. But you know, Sabbath will just bring up those tensions in us. And I think those tensions are good. Like it's the Rilke line, you have to live the questions. So it will bring up these questions in you like, how do I do this? Can I do this with my business or my job or my family or my stage of life or my kids or my grandma or whatever? And those are good questions to ask even if they're not really easy answers or solutions. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be easy because I would be feeling this way at this point. I have felt this way. Is that, you know, even what does it mean that I'm, I'd be asking the question, what does it mean that I'm wrestling with these questions? Does it mean that I am already bad at Sabbath? Like, am I already like not capable of doing this? And I think it's just important to say that those questions mean you are leaning in. Yeah. And it also means that you're human. Yeah. Like you are in the, you're in the journey, you're on the journey, and it's significant to ask these questions, to allow that tension even just to rub. And if it's just that, just like you just said, 
that's a good start. You know, it's yeah. a good place to be. Another challenge we face with Sabbath is just that it is against the flow of culture. So Sabbath was built, obviously, in the Old Testament kind of era. It was built into the cultural architecture of ancient Israel. And then from about 321, when Constantine, you know, made it an official day of rest, until in the West, until the 1960s, yeah. even if you were Voltaire, if you were a hardcore <laughs> atheist or whatever, you, you were inside a cultural architecture of yeah. Sabbath. You know what I mean? You could not go to a football game or whatever. Sunday was a day. I mean, I remember hearing my dad, who's not that old. He's 72, grew up in Silicon Valley before it was called Silicon Valley. And I remember him talking about, like, until through the 60s, on Sunday, everything closed. Wow. Every single person he knew went to church of some kind. Yeah. You either went to Catholic church, Protestant church, or if you weren't a Christian, you went to the mainline church. And he wasn't a Christian, so he went to the mainline church. <laughs> but everybody went to church. And then afterwards, everybody had Sunday dinner. And, you know, and this is his world and his, you know, kind of demographic that he grew up in. But I, can you imagine Silicon Valley nope. today? <laughs> no. Like the whole thing shut down one seven. And he, I remember him talking about how shocking it was when 7-Eleven opened. And it was the first store mm. that wow. was open on yeah. a Sunday. And on a Sunday, you could go down and buy a Coke or something. Yeah. And it, I looked it up, it was 1969. Wow. wow. And the challenge is that we are formed by our culture. Yes. And yep. we live in, and it's really hard to go against the flow of your culture. And we live in a 24-7 Sabbath-less yeah. culture, yeah. arguably an anti-Sabbath culture. Yeah. Another challenge would be around like legalism. A lot of people are just scared of legalism with the yeah. Sabbath and getting off track. And that is a... It's a valid fear. Like, that's the problem that Jesus is dealing with. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I think people misunderstand Jesus' polemic around the Sabbath, because we're living in the opposite culture to Jesus. So Jesus' culture, and, and maybe if you grew up in a, some really legalistic uh, church tradition where Sabbath was a thing, you could relate to this. Most of us can't. But in Jesus' culture, like Sabbath, they'd lost the plot line. It'd become this, mm -hmm. you know, hor kind of just laundry list of rules and regulations that are all built around the Sabbath on top of Scripture. They'd lost the heart behind it. And that's what Jesus is dealing with. So he's practicing Sabbath every week yeah. and has a very strong critique of the kind of uh, legalism that had grown up around the Sabbath in his day. But we have the opposite problem. So our problem is not that we have hundreds of rules right. and regulations around the Sabbath. It's that we have absolutely none, <laughs> yep. you know? Yeah. So... It is a legitimate problem. And I think the simplest answer is just don't let don't. it become legalistic. <laughs> yeah, <don't. laughs> you know what I mean? Just yeah. guard your heart. Guard, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for the rest of us, yeah. you know? Yeah. It will be a temptation for people like me who have more control-oriented personalities mm -hmm. uh, where I can easily – for me, it's not so much a struggle like I need to practice Sabbath to earn God's love or yeah. whatever. I, that's, that's genuinely not a thing for me. But it can be like we need to practice Sabbath in this way yeah. and otherwise it's not really Sabbath and I can, you know, it can become a control-oriented thing for me mm -hmm. in my flesh. And so I think the, the key is to put boundaries around your day that really set it apart and yeah. sanctify it. But let them be porous boundaries. Yeah. And, and, yeah. There, and th there are means to an end. Yeah. The end is to live with God and his community and become a yeah. person of love. So I think you got to put, put boundaries. Another one I'd love to hear you speak to, Brian, um, and this is one of the primary objections I get. Most 
you know, commonly from parents, particularly young kids, but also with teenagers, is just, it's too hard for my season of life. Yeah. You know, or it's too hard because I'm single, or it's too hard because I have little kids, mm -hmm. or it's too hard because I'm in residency, or it's too hard because I'm starting a business, or I'm planting a church, or, you know, there's a thousand examples. The most common one I hear is young kids. So I'd love to hear, yeah. I'd love to hear you speak to that, Brian, because you know, at this table, you're the, I have teenagers, that's its own challenge for Sabbath, but you have little kids. The thing is, I think we give too much credence to what our kids want yes. as parents very often. And kids are And quick. to what other parents do. And we've, we've allowed so our kids to explore and, but we have pretty, pretty, pretty quickly said that we're not going to do Saturday sports because for us, my Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. And it just, it just too much, put too much pressure on our whole family, especially with having multiple little kids. And the thing that I've realized is you just have to learn to adjust in the season. So we take a yeah. lot more long walks. We do slow meals and we do slow, quiet mornings. We have less people involved in our daily, in our weekly Sabbath, which when we were younger and our kids were younger, it was easy to have families together. And I yeah. just, I enjoyed that so much. And that time will come again. And it will come again. I'm yeah. in that season now, yeah. It's amazing. So it's exactly what you said. It's, it's meeting the season, the limitations of the season of your life yeah. with grace and joy. Mm. Mm. And I think, I mean, to both your points, and even as a single, the single person here yes. at the table, like I, I hear this a lot too from people, like, how do you do it? You don't have a family to do the big, you know? Mm. And there's a million responses to that. And we that. need to talk about that later. Yeah, and we yes. will. And how Sabbath is a community experience. Yeah. yeah, but I think what you're both saying in so many words is you have to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to keep, if you just keep your rhythms of stop, rest, worship, and delight, you keep them in front of you, you keep kind of the main objectives before you and and move, uh, rearrange. Take the next step. Yeah, yep. get a little bit flexible depending on your season and what you're stewarding. That's gonna be the most important thing when it comes to this practice. Hi, I'm Matilda. I'm 24 and I'm from Denmark where I study psychology. I guess my biggest challenge up until now has been doing it alone because I'm single and because it can be that flexible it's also kind of formless sometimes uh, and I really I've been missing having someone to do it with um, to rejoice with and relax with uh, and have a ritual with figuring out how Sabbath looks as a single person and also just the practical stuff of of not doing it with people and having shut down my phone and like yeah, it can be a, a bit difficult sometimes. So I guess that's my, my biggest challenge up until now, at least. God has yet to bless anybody other than right where they actually are. Mm -hmm. So what's the next step? We can talk about it. We can do our best to motivate you or inspire you or <laughs> cast a vision. And we'll do more of that in coming episodes. But you have to decide, like, do I want this? Do I want to step into this rhythm? with God and his community. Mm. Well, that's episode one. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made possible by the generosity of The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who give monthly to Practicing the Way with the dream, the shared dream, of seeing spiritual formation integrated into the life of the church at large. To join The Circle or find out more about running the Sabbath practice in your church or small group or just with your friends, visit Practicing the Way. Dot org. See you next week.